North Otago. It's rich in history and strong in character. And you have found the podcast that celebrates all that is good within our district. Join Gary and Damien every week as they either interview a legend or someone who is putting North Otago on the map yet again. North Otago legends, up-and-comers, and a bit of history. The name says it all. Welcome back to North Otago Legends, Future Legends, and a little bit of history. How are you doing, Gary? I'm very well. Uh, this is podcast number three. Hopefully everyone enjoyed podcast number one and two, and we have many more to put out there. But Gary, I have one really important question for you right now. Mm-hmm. Do you want to commit on air that you're running for mayor? Break <laughs> it here first. Do you want to let everyone know you're standing for mayor of North uh, Wataki District yet again, and this could be like a breaking news? Yeah, well, it's been in the newspaper, so um, yes. Okay. I'm standing, I'm standing again. No. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very official now. Okay, it you is know, official it, it, now it's, that it's, it's on the, the Being podcast. in the ODT, you know, that's one thing, but actually being on this podcast, that's that's the moment. Well said, Gary, yeah. And so um, you had a good week? Very good. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful day out there today, so yeah, it's I been know. great. I noticed you haven't laced up the boots and run around playing football again. They haven't got that desperate yet? No. no. Yeah, I was out there on Saturday and they didn't ask me to play, so I don't know what that was about. So last time I go back there. Probably, yeah. yeah, probably thinking of your health. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with opposition's legs or something, I'm not too sure. Hey, um, we have an absolute legend on our podcast before uh, podcast today, Gary. Um, I've had the pleasure of knowing this guy for the last probably five months. I've worked alongside him and uh, we've been coaching the rowers down at the Omru Harbour and just got to know him. Um, have, had you heard of Wynn Stevens and the Omru, Omru Four um, before today? Or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's one of North Otago's sporting achievements and, yeah. you know, the, the, the things that they did back in the day. It was a wee while ago. Yeah. Yep. So it's really important for us to keep these stories in history alive and um, probably our, our generation have heard of that or if you're in rowing, you definitely have heard of that. Mm. But other people just don't know about Omri 4 and their, their achievements and how well they've done. So what do you reckon we should introduce Wynn? And- yeah, no, it's certainly great to have you here today, Wynn. So um, thanks very much for coming along. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing some, some tales of what happened back in the day. <clears throat> They're a bit hard to find, Gary. That would be um, pod material, <laughs> but I'll do my best. Yeah, no, I think Damien's only worried to make sure we don't have any um, libel lawsuits or anything like that. But <laughs> yeah. No, it's um, <clears throat> there's some, some pretty great history there that you've been involved in, and we're keen to hear about it. Well, thank you, um, Damien <clears throat> and Gary, for the opportunity to um, become part of the archives of um, North Otago. I was born here in, in Omaru, and ironically, the room that I'm actually recording this pod broadcast is in a church, and I went to that church as a small boy until I joined the rowing club, and I've explained all this to um, to Damien. <laughs> so he caught me down on my hands and knees trying to plug my computer into the, the power socket, and he said, I knew we'd get you on your hands and knees. <laughs> so... So um, that's a little bit aside, but um, I joined the Omaru Rowing Club in 1956 and um, sadly the um, bit to the, the church, but I never came back to the church. 
So um, and my mum, she said, oh, that they're rough mob, those rowing people. See, I don't think you should be going to the rowing club. And, of course, um, <clears throat> I continued to row. It, it, um, it suited my temperament and um, I was just plain lucky that the club was on the up. So um, <clears throat> we... Um, I joined at the same time as George Patterson, who was also in the four. <clears throat> he and I both went um, through school together, through um, the Omri South School and Waitaki Boys, <clears throat> and uh, we joined a year behind Keith and, and Bill, Keith Hazelwood and Bill Smedley. So um, <clears throat> we were individually as peers for a starter, and um, we had varying um fours that um, Keith and Bill Lay were senior to us and uh, <clears throat> over time George and I proved that we're pretty competent in a pair so um, we'd won a national title at Waihola as novices in the um, in the Cox pair we um, we defended that and picked in the following year so um, we'd won two national titles in the first two years and then they decided that maybe they should <clears throat> put the um, the two pairs together in the four, and that that's how we um, became the Omru four. So how how old were you then? I would have been eighteen. Yeah, right. eight, eighteen, I think. And whose decision to put the two pairs together and make a good four? Obviously, a, a fantastic four. Like as far as fours goes, there's something about that it's you four that really clicks. So there must have been someone that had good insight and good vision and thought, man, these guys will go quick. Well, I think there was more than one, Damien, <clears throat> that um, were instrumental in that happening. Um, Rusty Robertson, he was the head coach, and, of course, he went on to become New Zealand coach and then he became renowned as one of the world's best rowing coaches. So he was the man that really we were going to answer to in the future, as it turned out. Stuart Mitchell, he was a um, a um, very very busy worker on the committee of the rowing club, and um, <clears throat> I dare say Stewie and Rusty together they decided that we would become the four, and of course we had no idea whether we we're going to be any good or. Or not. So um, <clears throat> that just the way it panned out that the first time we raced, we um, basically we won and we never really looked back from then, um, Damien. So um, <clears throat> that really was the start of the Omru 4. No, very good. Yeah, and... and so what, what was your training regime at that time? You know, I mean, I've, I've done a little bit um, of master's rowing and so on, only a couple of seasons, but, you know, those early morning starts and so on, was that what you did back then? No, Gary, um, we never rode in the morning. Rusty was a stickler that you needed your sleep. We rode in the afternoon in the Omru Harbour and, of course, both you guys here in Omru and um, I've just spent five months here back in the helping with the coaching and you look back and you think how on earth do we ever 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 achieve the the heights that we actually got in the training strip we had because mm. with full tide in the calm day you were lucky to get 500 meters and yep. um, basically that was it so uh, <clears throat> what was your question <laughs> so your overall training so oh. like how, how many times a week were you down there 
Well, we trained every night of the week. Right. There was no doubt about that. Um, unless one of the <clears throat> the boys were um, unavailable through um, occupation, if we couldn't get on the harbour, we did a lot of um, straight-out calisthenics, press-ups, chin-ups and, um, and skipping. Mm-hmm. Skipping was a major part to get our heart rate up so we could bang up over 90 beats a minute and then get it down to under 50 <clears throat> in recovery of another minute. So um, <clears throat> that was really our guideline to how physic- physically fit the, um, the internal part of your body. And the other thing we did, we did a lot of running. <clears throat> so we'd run up Tyne Street, and anybody who lives in Omru knows how steep Tyne, Tyne Street is. So we'd run up there, and, and if he was hit there, Rusty, this is, was having a bad day with us, he'd say, run to the golf course and back. So that was quite a drag to run out to the golf course and back and then do all the calithentics <laughs> again. So that was that part. And the speed training we did in <clears throat> King George's Park. So we did a lot of interval training there. <clears throat> and we're a, we're a pretty mixed bunch, really, because Keith was... He would have been six foot five. Bill was six foot four. George and I were six one, six two. And um, <clears throat> Bill had um, stepped backwards in his occupation, which a panel beater, and he stepped back into the pit and broke his ankle. So how the guy ever ran at all was a, a mark of just the actual guts of the guy. He was not going to not be in that four. So um, <clears throat> we did a lot of <clears throat> that type of training as well. Um, <clears throat> I don't think there's any other... Th- oh, sorry. Um, in the weekends, we en- ended up um, going to a place called the Waio Box, which is the Waio River going into um, the um, ocean, the Pacific Ocean. And it, it was a... Um, <clears throat> I don't know how far it is. Pretty close to a, a kilometre... And we could um, <clears throat> we could zoom up and down there. And one of the hard case parts of that was um, Rusty. He had a very good speedboat. That was his coaching boat. So um, on the Saturday, <clears throat> we would be challenged. If you can better your time for each run we do down here with the speedboat, he said we are allowed to go to the Glen Avey Hotel and have one round of beers. Well, of course. For four guys at our age, there was no incentive that was going to be better than beating his speedboat. So um, every um, every Saturday we were always holding back, holding back, but making sure we're right up there with that speedboat. So I'll carry on with the with the results of of, of beating the speedboat. We'd get into the um, into the the um, Glenavy pub, the publican. He was one of the crew. So there were four of us in the boat plus the coxswains. That was five, with the public in six. Rusty was seven. They just introduced um, schooners from the west coast into North Otago, which was a dry area at that stage. So we got seven schooners. Well, you can imagine what kind of shape we were in by the time we left that, that pub on a Saturday afternoon and then drive to Omru. Today you go to jail. <coughs> well... Oh. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's probably good you didn't. Um, yeah, and, and uh, probably a, a pretty reasonable reward, for, really, for, <laughs> um, you know, to, to actually get to go to the pub when we didn't have any here. And, uh, you know, you go all that way up there to the box and do your rowing and, and, and work hard, obviously. So we, we all, we, were you all 
equal trainers, you know, was everyone in, as involved in that as, as everyone else? Was, did you have any shirkers or anything? One thing about a rowing boat, <clears throat> you ain't no shirkers in a rowing boat. If you're a shirker, you don't make it into the boat. So, um, and and that has never, ever changed. Yeah. <clears throat> now, of course, they, um, they it, it, it's far harder to try and beat the rules if you had that in mind. But the boat wouldn't win. Mm. <clears throat> Simple as that. If you had one guy that was at 80% and the others that were 100, you'd come part of the field. So, um, <clears throat> and that will never, ever change in rowing. Rowing is a difficult sport as far as a competitor's concerned because by the time you've done 2,000 metres at four noise, you are just an exhausted person in that boat. So, um, and one of Rusty's major, major things where you never lay down in the boat no matter how tired you were. So your heart could stop and the other guy would have to hold you up. You never, ever showed the opposition a weakness that they could exploit. So um, <clears throat> he was quite a remarkable man in his own right, Rusty, because he started off as a rower. And unfortunately, um, going home from training one night, <clears throat> they um, they had an old open tourer car and um, they used to turn around a, a power pole where they dropped off two of the crew and the, um, the power board, unbeknown to them, had shifted the power pole. So they rocked up there, spun round, went backward, straight over the bank and Rusty got skewered on, um, <clears throat> on um, pea sticks. Oh, wow. So he was basically in a plaster cast, a thing that would never happen in today's medicine, but he was in a plaster cast for, I'm not sure the actual time, but <clears throat> I think it was pretty close to a year. It may have even been more. Wow. So um, <clears throat> the guy carried that injury and he was a builder by profession. So um, to actually do his job, that was a bit of a miracle as well. And <clears throat> every now and again, um, we did a lot of training at, at Waihola as well. And I can remember one day we'd done a um, morning training and stepping from the boat up onto the wharf at Waihola, he, he locked and he just grunted, what, what? And I backed up and, and he just looped his arms around me and I basically carried him <clears throat> out of the boat and onto the wharf and, and he was paralysed and I just had to stand there until his back released. Mm. And he could start walking again. So the um, <clears throat> the type of man, of course, you just admired the guy, and you would, you would die for him. Yeah. Basically, that's how we trained. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, it takes a lot of grit and determination to carry on in those sorts oh, of situations. Oh, no about that. So yeah. I've never heard. I've been in and around the rowing club on and off for a while. Never heard that story. So Rusty no. was a good rower, but then he had to switch to coaching. Yep. So. There are some other hard case stories about Rusty. I know he used to spy on you. He'd send you down to training. He'd be up in there with the binoculars <laughs> thing what, if you misbehave. But what about, like, this is some good North Otago history. That man, um, he's up there alongside, you know, you did the work, but he was there beside you. So are there a couple stories about Rusty that we can share with? Well, he was quite a screwed operator. Um, <clears throat> he had a dance band. And every Saturday night you'd go to the Enfield, um, which is a little um, uh, country village in, in North Otago. Well, you guys will know that anyway. And uh, <clears throat> we had our respective girlfriends and, of course, you were not allowed to take alcohol to these um, country dancers. <laughs> and anyway, naive boys that we were, we never really understood that Rusty would stand up there playing his banjo uh, 
in this band. And he'd look round and think, now that's funny, those girls are all sitting there dancing with themselves and there's no boys in the hall. And, of course, we had flagons outside and we used to hide them in the hedges. So right. the police couldn't come and knock your car off because there was no grog in there, but they'd be all hidden, and these were flagging. And of course, he told he told us on the um, <clears throat> on the Saturday afternoon we'd trained, and he said, "Now you guys, you be here smartly in the morning. I don't want anybody overhanging, looking um, a wee bit doggy." And of course, we thought, "Oh, oh yeah, yeah." So we got down there at nine o'clock. No Robertson. And we thought, oh, boy, this will be great fun. So we were acting the goat going round round the harbour. Anyway, about an hour later, the um, the um, yellow mercury pulled up on the wharf and and we thought, oh, oh, here he is, here he is. Oh, we better start and sharpen up. So away we went <clears throat> and the hand came up. We pulled and he said, right, you, and I won't explain the words that he used. <laughs> he said, I've been sitting up there with my binoculars. He said, you guys might have thought you were having fun, but boy, are you going to pay that price now? <laughs> and man, did he, he absolutely just, he, he trained us till we were basically incapable of getting out of the boat. So we, needless to say, we didn't make that mistake again. When he said we're training at this time, that was it. So that was all in the build-up um, <clears throat> to the games. And in the interim period, of course, we were racing at regattas and um, then we started to understand that we were a competitive force. So... Um, Fortunately, only a matter of um, a month ago or six weeks ago, I happened to bring Keith Hazelwood, who rode in the seat behind me, and he was alive then. And I said, where do you live? Because I knew he'd moved into town. He told me where he lived. He said, well, you better come round. We'll have a talk. So we did. So I spent the afternoon with um, <coughs> with Keith and um, um, oh, his wife's name, um, um, Genevieve. And uh, which was just a magic afternoon because Keith and I did quite a bit of hunting together as well as recreational um, just to get away from rowing. And uh, <clears throat> we started talking about some of the um, some of the races we'd had and some of the um, the history of, of the four. And uh, he was a great historian. His sister had a scrapbook that has everything in it from every every write-up by any newspaper in the country, she had it. And um, he'd sat down and worked out that we'd raced, I'm pretty sure this is right, we had 29 starts for 28 wins and the, the one we lost was the last race we rode. So um, <clears throat> that was against Auckland at, um, at um, Karapiro, and I'm sure we could have spun that boat round and gone back and we'd have beaten them by a distance. And it was the only race I think we ever rode as a four that the four didn't just click mm. on the day. And the irony of that was we'd been actually invited on behalf of the British Empire to defend the unraced um, for Prince Philip Cup. So we were uh, invited to defend that on behalf of the Empire. And um, Keith, um, being quite a virile young man, he, um, he got a wee bit close to his girlfriend and that tidied that part of the <laughs> occasion up as well. So, 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 so you're saying you didn't get to defend that title? No, we didn't, no. Um, That's a shame. 
New Zealand, New Zealand did defend it because the crew that bet us at Karapiro, they actually um, they got the invitation was extended to them because right. they um, so. <laughs> Yeah, but looking back on on my whole rowing career, that would have been the one spot that I thought, well, that was a shame that we were never able to actually go and defend that um, that Prince Philip Cup against Europe. So, um, so that was it. Yeah. Well, it's good that you've gone through, done the analysing of you know where things went wrong and and identified <laughs> what the problem was, <laughs> never to be repeated again. <laughs> But yeah, it's it, it's twenty eight wins out of twenty nine. I mean, it's pretty pretty darn impressive. Um, so, at what point did you change from you know just representing North Otago to actually going on to greater things? Um, <clears throat> well, when we were we won our first um, New Zealand Championship four <clears throat> at um, Wellington, and <clears throat> we did that, and and Rusty, um, when you went out to race in in um, for a national title, he always his, his one words to the whole crew: you look across to whoever's rowing in your seat and make sure that you can clean them up. And uh, <clears throat> we got blown off the course on the Saturday, and we raced at at um, six o'clock on the Sunday morning in the Corriorica course, which is on the road to the hut. And uh, <clears throat> I can remember rowing out there and, of course, we were all keyed up because we'd got blown off the course the day before. And um, and Rusty's final words were just look across and figure out how you're going to beat him. So I looked across to my competitors. Everyone had a silver fern on their shirt. <laughs> so I thought, well, gee whiz, this might be a wee bit of a challenge today. <clears throat> but anyway, um, he, he was absolutely correct because... A, we were in the peak of physical condition. The town by then had realised that we were a bit better than perhaps what we'd had before. Um, <clears throat> so away we went and um, by halfway we were out in front. And once we got out in front, basically nobody was ever going to head us off. So we just rode away from the field. Excellent. So um, <clears throat> that was it. And, and of course... By winning that, we won the Boss Rooster, and the Boss Rooster is the fours. Um, it's an old tin rooster, and you've got to paint your colours within an hour of actually winning it, or you shout for every other crew in the race. So um, you can imagine the Boss Rooster got painted. And the other thing you won was the Halliburton Halle um um, trophy, which is a magnificent trophy, and like so many of these ma- absolutely magic trophies, I don't know where it is. It it'll be in a cupboard somewhere, and it should be a right out in front for young people to realise. Boy, we could get our photo taken hanging onto this thing or standing beside it because you you could hardly pick it up. So. Um, those are all little asides and, um, you know, as rowing in New Zealand has got more and more competitive and worldwide we have become a nation that has performed way, way above its actual weight and we're still doing it every year we produce another Olympic um, four. Unfortunately, the Commonwealth Games, we rode the last Commonwealth Games. They've never had rowing in the Commonwealth Games since 1962 and um, in that race, <clears throat> oh, the one other thing that I should bring in um, 
Our coxswain was a bloke called Doug Pullman, and he was basically just out of school, a boy in, in from the Waikato. And uh, he came down and he, A, was a superb athlete in his ability to steer a boat. So he just slotted straight in and he lived with um, George um, Patterson's mum and dad, so he was part of the, the, the family of the, um, of the crew. And uh, <clears throat> he, um, he, he just, I never had to look out of the boat. He could tell me to an inch, basically, where we were in 2,000 metres racing, and that's critical for young rowers who don't understand. The moment you look out a boat, the boat goes out of balance. <clears throat> so I never had to worry about that, and um, and he steered, he steered from my feet. So we were totally in, in sync all the time. So that was a major, major um, asset as well. Um when we got selected, uh, sorry, the um, we won the, the, the red coat that year, so that was our first year as national champion. We defended that title at, um, at uh, Kerr's Reach in Christchurch the following year, and anybody who's rode, and certainly has, who have rode at Kerr's Reach know it's a real ding-dong course because it's got an S-bend in the middle. So you can come in to one end of the, the thing and if you're on the wrong side of the S, you come out the other end and you're two lengths behind. So you always wanted to be, but of course you never actually picked your lane. <laughs> you got allocated the lane. And I remember Rusty, he said, I don't care which lane you're in, guys, you just come out and then you spent that, um, I don't know how far, it's most probably four or 500 metres from the end of the bend to the actual end of the race. So we slammed the whole pedal to the metal and we won that. So we defended our um, our title. So that then enabled us to become available to be selected for the Commonwealth Games team. So um, <clears throat> to get selected for that, in those days there was A, B and C categories. So A, you were fully paid, your uniform, everything. B, you got, um, you had to pay for your uniform. C, you had to pay your own way to go there. So they decided the only fair way to do that would be to race the crews that they'd picked against each other on a time split basis. So we, um, once again, we got on the, the truck and ended up, in those days, of course, there was no inter-island ferry from Picton across. You went from um, Akira, uh, from um, oh, what's the port in Christchurch? Um, Littleton. Littleton, yes. So um, the, the boat got load slung onto the things over fear and trepidation because in those days the water siders went on strike at any, um, just, you know, one had a runny nose off. We can't work. A mate's got a runny nose. So um, we actually got across to um, to Wellington and then we had a what they used, a ski bus. So it was full of mattresses. So we all clambered into that, put the boat on the top and away we went to Carapiro. So you can imagine what we looked like the time we got to Carapiro and then we're going to sit there and go on a trial race to see if we're going to make it to the Commonwealth Games. So um, anyway, we finally got there and... and um, we had Jim Hill, he was the um, then single sculler. The um, Watkinson brothers, they were the double scullers. The um, Lawrence brothers from Dunedin, they were in the pair. 
The eight was composite, and it was the first of the composite eights that New Zealand had put together, so they'd picked what they deemed were the best rowers for each position in the eight, and we were the last club four to um, actually line up <clears throat> in a race like that. And it was the guinea pig race because they'd never raced one. They'd worked out what theoretically they thought the time would put us all across the um, line together. And Carapiro is not the kindest place to row. Um, on a good day and a bad day, it's a dick of a place. But anyway, to um, the catalog story short there, the um, single went first and, and Jim Hill, was he was an international at that stage. He'd... Um, I don't think he'd won, he'd certainly rode at the Olympics by then. And anyway, um, he went, um, you know, he was the first cab off the rank and you could hear the boat going, and then there was silence and we're still sitting there. (laughs) And then bang and the the pair went, the same deal. And you sat there and you thought, in the name of God, will he'll be? And then... Bang, and the double went, and we're sitting there, they vanished, and then bang, and we went, and I thought, well, we've got uh, no show I'm making it to catch these guys. Anyway, we picked up the, um, I think we picked up the pair first, and I'm looking back at the eight, and I thought, well, boy, there's no, these guys got no hope of picking us up. And anyway... <laughs> We passed the um, passed the pier, <clears throat> we would have been three quarters of the way up the course by then. Then we knocked off the double and we're chasing Jim Hill, but we never actually saw his wash, let alone caught Jim Hill. And the eight, I thought, boy, and I think we we're about um, maybe 100 metres from the finish and the eight just came out of nowhere, oomph, oomph. And anybody that's rode an eight or a boat or watched one and, and been competing against them, when the, you hear that noise, you get big problems. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> they rode right over us. So they didn't beat us by much, but that was our rating. So Jim Hill, he was number one and, and the, the eight was two and we were three. As it transpired, we all got fully paid to go to the games. So um, we'd achieved what we set out to do. So then the whole tenor of the rowing club changed in Omaru because all of a sudden we were going to um, a represented town that was right behind Omaru. I get a bit emotional when I talk about this, so you just no, got to bear with me a bit. Totally understandable. It's <coughs> great. So um, we, um, we got selected and then, of course, the training was really on. We had to get better than what we'd been. So we didn't know how we were going to do that. But once again, Rusty, he figured it all out. So we decided every night we go to the YR box. And a lot of the nights we were rowing through the winter, so it was freezing cold and we were up to our waist pushing his speedboat into the water. So you could imagine what it was like trading up there. But we did that as part of our training. And then, of course, as the day stretched out and it got towards November when the games were on, well, we're in a far better space. <clears throat> but um, that was really um, when Bill Laney, who was the then mayor, he'd been behind the club all the way through, but he saw that we were going to put the town of Omaru on the map. So um, he said <clears throat> Rusty um, was not selected. He was... Um, he said it would not be fair for the four to go without their coach. 
So he said, I think we'll have an appeal day because they'll need a new boat <clears throat> to go and race in. So we'll put a thermometer in the um, where the War Memorial is in the middle of town and you won't buy tickets, you'll just make a donation. So right. if you've got a shilling, you put a shilling in the thing. If you've got a penny, you put a penny in. And kids were putting pennies in the jar. Well, the upshot of that was we got enough money, A, to buy the, the boat and the oars, and there was enough money left over in Bill um, Laney, who was a great fan of Rusty's. He said, we've got enough money to send Rusty Robertson as part of the crew. So um, Rusty then became part. Although he wasn't part of the New Zealand team, he got to the games with us. And, of course, he wasn't allowed to coach. It was ludicrous because the eight coach, he um, he wasn't interested in making sure we were doing right. He was interested only in his eight. So old Eric, um, he wore bottle top glasses. I often wondered if he knew where our boat was some of the days. <laughs> Quite honestly, and, and of course you weren't allowed to look at him when he'd have his race starts and he'd drop his flag and he said, now Keith, number three, you watch and then tell the stroke when to start. And of course his eight was already five strokes into the thing before Keith would get around to tell him, oh, I think we can go now, I So that was sort of how, um, how Rusty actually got there. So then they had to figure out where they were going to hide him. So um, Don Rowlands was, I, Don, I'm trying to think who the um, the mission, <laughs> the chief, the um, chief de mission. Yeah, that's yep. the word. That's the word, chief de mission. He, um, I forget who he was, but he said we got a spare bed in the in the bike riders' house, and that's right beside where you guys are. So we'll sneak him in there, <laughs> and of course, Rusty enjoyed his beer, <laughs> and. If, when you're at the games, you can get out the games at night and um, <laughs> sneak off down the road. So Rusty would sneak off down the road to local um, hostelry and, and have a few beers. And one night he came home and he must have had just one or two more, <laughs> more than he normally did. He finally got into the, the right house and the right bed and he crashed down on the bed. The bed collapsed and the whole of the bike riders were in total disarray. Rusty floundering round on the floor. There was all hell to pay. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was just hilarious. And um, we didn't know anything about this until about three days later and it came out how the, the Omru coach had been absolutely misbehaved in the bike riders. <laughs> The bike riders' um, <clears throat> house, oh. but anyway, that was all part of it. So the big day came, of course, and we. Um, can I just jump in here yes, for a minute? Yes, you sure can. So what we're going to do now is uh, we're going to do a two-part series on this. So we're just going to finish this podcast now. Yep. And then next week we're going to release um, the second part of that. So um, I just want to say thank you for coming in today. That's been absolutely fantastic. Gary, what do you think? Oh, I can't wait for part two. Um, that's, uh, we've, <laughs> yeah. we've left it on a cliffhanger. Absolutely. So um, looking forward to part two of Wynn Stevens, part of the Omru 4, who I just love that um, he talked about how the whole town got behind it and it really put Omru on the map. And I guess, Gary, in your position, you know, people like that, the um, Courtney Duncan's, uh, well, she's part of Waitaki, you know, and all Absolutely. of that stuff, who just really represent our values. So imagine in those days, everyone gathering around mm. watching that race. So I'm lo- looking forward to next week. 
and we can find out how they did at the British and Empire Games. And did Rusty get sent home? And did Rusty get sent home <laughs> like he should have, yeah. All oh, right. no, that's another story. You'll get that story next week. All right, thanks for joining in. We'll look forward to hearing the rest of the story next week. <laughs>